Good morning again, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Amen. Amen. He is risen indeed. That's right. He is risen indeed. So glad you could join us this morning for our Easter celebration, Resurrection Sunday celebration, a very special time of worship as we do celebrate our risen Savior this morning. What a special time in the history of our church, but just as a believer, each and every time we come around to Easter, it's just a really special time to celebrate our risen Lord. We have no hope without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but because he is risen from the dead, we have eternal hope. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking into one of the Messianic Psalms. There are several, but the Psalm we're going to be looking at this morning is one of three shepherding Psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are all shepherding songs. Psalms, we're going to be looking at Psalm 22. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 22 in a message that I've titled, The Victory of the Cross. And so we're going to be covering the first 22 verses of Psalm 22. But before we get there this morning, would you pray with me again quickly and we'll get into our text. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much again for this resurrection morning. Thank you for this time when we can celebrate our risen Savior Thank you for this time that we're able to carve out and just be together as a faith family, celebrating our risen Savior. We look forward to the text that you have for us this morning. That is a uh, focus on the cross this morning, but how important that is. Without the cross, there would be no resurrection. So help us, Lord, as we get into your word this morning. We pray that you would get your word into us. Help us to draw closer to you through it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Psalm chapter 22, starting in verse 1, reads like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 9, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord... Do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. 
I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Wow. What a section of scripture. David is the author of Psalm 22, as is indicated in the title, which reads to the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. So David wrote this psalm. Of course, we don't know the tune of, you know, the deer of the dawn. Maybe one day in glory, he'll he'll play that for us. We're not really sure what that tune sounds like. But as we look to the Psalms in view of Christ, which is always a great idea. When you read the scriptures, always read them in view of Christ, but especially in light of the suffering of Jesus that we're going to see in this psalm, we're reminded of Psalm 42, verse 1, that says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Remember that psalm? So I want us to understand something this morning, and that's this. There has never been any soul in the history of humanity that's ever panted harder after God than that of Jesus on his cross. So if we were to state the entire context of Psalm 22 very simply, then we could say that Psalm 22 is the prophet David's foretelling of the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah, right? Psalm 22 is the quintessential Psalm of the cross. But before we get into the text this morning, I feel uh, like it's necessary for me to, to say this. I don't feel like I can adequately teach this Psalm. So I stand with J. Vernon McGee, who said this, there are several scriptures with which I never feel adequate to deal, and this is one of them. I get it. I get it. William MacDonald said, approach this psalm with the utmost solemnity and reverence because you've probably never stood on holier ground before. Wow, what a quote. So again, I, I don't feel like I can adequately teach it, but I do know this. I know the weight of this psalm for sure. Uh, Even though I don't fully understand it, I know that it's deep. What we learn here in this psalm is very deep, and I know that the pain that you're going to see in this psalm is very, very real. And so just keep in mind as we look into this psalm, guys, we're only just taking a peek into the most significant death in all of history. Okay, we're only scratching the surface here. What we're going to see today is just a drop in the ocean compared to the reality of it all. And then hopefully you and I as followers of Christ are going to be spending the rest of our life plumbing the depths of the truth that we find here in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is uh, fulfillment of the foreshadowing sacrifice that we see in Genesis 22. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. You remember the ram that was caught in the thicket. Okay, all of that is a picture of Christ, right? Jesus is the lamb that God provided for himself in Genesis 22, 8. And so Psalm 22 is the fulfillment of that prophecy, but it's also the fulfillment of prophecies that we see in Isaiah, specifically in Isaiah 53 from the suffering servant passage that Alex took us through last week during communion. And so what I mean is this, this psalm depicts the fulfillment of all of these prophecies as found in Christ Jesus, okay? The Jewish Messiah, yes, but also the Savior of the world. Now, when you read through the Gospels, for example, you see something very interesting. You see historical facts about Christ, okay, that gives us the details of who Christ was and what he done in the historical context, 
And Psalm 22 is much different than that. Because in Psalm 22, what we see here is David recording the thoughts of Jesus during his crucifixion. Right? Many scholars believe that Christ actually quoted the entirety of Psalm 22 while on the cross. I can't prove that to you from Scripture, so I don't know. But it does seem like it's possible because the seven sayings that we do hear from Christ on his cross as recorded in the Gospels line up very well with Psalm 22. But let me tell you what I see here in Psalm 22. What I see here is my Savior receiving the punishment that I deserve. That's what I see. I see the result of every one of my lies. I see the consequence of every one of my presumptuous sins, if you will. I see the consequence of every single time that I trampled on the grace of God. I see the cost for all of my dishonesty and my pride. When I look at Psalm 22, I see the result of my arrogant, sinful actions. I see the righteousness of God upon my gossiping tongue. That's what I see. I see the cost of my flippant attitude toward the things of God. What I see is my sin being put upon Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, it's hard to look at. It's hard to look at, but I've got to look at it because I have to understand the depth of my sin and the depravity of my own soul so it will drive me into a deeper and more genuine worship of my Savior and celebration of the resurrection that is to come, right? Hopefully, a better understanding of the cross will give me a better understanding of the resurrection and the victory that was won for my soul, right? Because the truth is, think of it like this. If I'm in Christ by faith today, then I must have died with Christ at Calvary, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. Here's what I mean. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He said, who himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Jesus Christ hung on that tree so that you and I could be healed. And I want you to know that here is what that looked like. In Psalm 22, we see a picture of the cost for that victory. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? You know, Matthew records this like this in his gospel. He says in Matthew 27, 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Matthew records it. You know, Jewish hours were counted as one twelfth of either daylight or darkness. Okay, that's how they count. So sunrise to sunset or vice versa. 
right? And so Matthew confirms here precisely what the prophet Amos had already written in Amos 8, verse 9, when he said, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Guys, this happened at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Christ hung on his cross in utter darkness from noon until 3 p.m. alone. And then from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, he was forsaken for your sin and mine, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I want you to notice something here, that Christ, even in the midst of bearing the weight of the sin of the world, he said, my God, didn't he? God was still my God, according to Jesus on his cross, even though in his flesh that was currently being made sin for you and me, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, God had forsaken him in his flesh, right? So it's important to note here, guys, sin is what separates us from God. That's what separates us from God. That's Isaiah 59.2. And of course, Christ was made sin, as I mentioned, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And so therefore what we see here is Christ being separated while in the flesh from his Father on the cross. Remember John chapter 1 verse 29 says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 tells us that Jesus was made just a little lower than the angels. Why? Why? Well, for the suffering of death, that he might taste death for everyone, right? According to the scriptures. You see, Christ had to take part in flesh and blood, according to Hebrews 2.14, so that he might destroy the very one, Satan himself, who had the power over death. So it's just like the very first prophecy of Christ in the Bible tells us, which happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, by the way. Here we see Christ crushing Satan's head at his cross and Satan bruising Christ's heel. What we see here is Jesus, the man, forsaken by the Father because he had taken the sin of the world upon himself, thereby becoming separated from his Father again in the flesh. So you see, Christ, he suffered the wrath of God toward our sin. That's what's going on so that each and every one of us could have eternal life, right? That, that punishment that you and I deserve is being put on Christ here at his cross. Jesus paid it all. That's one of the songs we sing at our Good Friday gathering, and it's so true. So Jesus paid it all. There's nothing left for you and I to pay, but all to him I owe. Pastor David Guzik writes, Yet he, meaning Jesus, never known separation or alienation from God, his Father. At this moment, he experienced what he had not yet ever experienced. There was a significant sense in which Jesus rightly felt forsaken by God the Father on the cross. And that's exactly right, because the Father looked at his Son, the one who is eternally sinless, he looked at him as a sinner and treated him as such. Why? So that ultimately through his blood, he could look at you and he could look at me as righteous. Praise the Lord. How amazing is that? How beautiful is that? Spurgeon says, yet Jesus not only endured the withdrawal of the father's fellowship, 
but also the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath upon him as a substitute for sinful humanity. Exactly. Christ at this point was out of fellowship with the Father here. Again, that's what sin does. Sin puts us out of fellowship with God. It separates us, right? Listen to this again from Pastor Guzik. He said, but at the same time, we cannot say that the separation between the Father and the Son at the cross was complete. Paul made this clear in 2 Corinthians 5.19, because God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself at the cross. Amen. Guys, this is why I've been emphasizing the point that Christ was forsaken in the flesh, right? As he was condemned and as he bore the wrath, the holy wrath of the Father toward our sin, because at the same time, the Father was reconciling the world to himself. You see, there was a holy transaction that was taking place here, namely Christ's blood for our sin. Okay, that's the transaction. It's incredible. But Christ rightly felt forsaken here in the moment because when the sin of the world separated him from his father, he felt something that he's never, ever felt before, something that he'll never feel again. He felt distance, right? Separation and help seemed far away. Verse two, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season and am not silent. So again, This is Jesus crying out from the cross in the middle of the day while in complete darkness. This was his night season, verse 2, or his day of trouble that we read about in verse 1. But notice again, Jesus says, my God. I mean, Christ was always looking to his Father, even though he thought in the moment that he couldn't be heard, right? So Christ suffered alone for you and me on his cross so that we don't have have to suffer alone for all of eternity apart from God, right? Verse three, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Amen. Notice here that Jesus never cursed his father. No, he cried out to him. Even in the midst of unimaginable torture, he affirmed his father's holiness. Guys, never ever doubt the character of God. Okay, even in the midst of your questioning, even in the midst of your pain, God is still holy and God is always, always good. So Christ is praising his father here from the cross. He's saying, you are holy because he wants to be near his father again, right? And even though he can't see his father in this moment, yet he praises him. He knows that God inhabits or dwells in the praises of his people. You've probably heard me quote this verse from time to time, that God inhabits the praise of his people. Well, that's Psalm 22, 3. Because that word for enthroned that you see there, at least in the New King, New King James Version, it means inhabit or dwell. That's what that word means. And so Christ here is praising the Father because he knows that's where his Father dwells, in the praise of his people. So guys, the next time you find yourself in trouble in a situation, the next time you find yourself in heartache or pain, just trust in what you know to be true about your God. Okay, don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. In other words, even when God seems far away from you, and regardless of whatever kind of situation you might be in, know that God is still holy 
and that he is still worthy of your praise. What I mean is condition your heart to praise God even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your pain. Nothing in the world was going to divert Christ from his cross. Okay, nothing. Nothing was going to divert him from accomplishing the Father's will. And so he praised him even in the midst of unimaginable pain, even in the midst of grief and sorrow like never before. Christ praised his Father. Verse 4, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. So Jesus trusted in the goodness of his Father. Here he knew that the Father was going to deliver him. Back to Genesis, you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Okay, so you remember that Abraham said to the young men who were with him on his journey up to Mount Moriah when he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember what he said? In Genesis 22, 5, he says, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and we will worship and we will come back to you. He said, we. That's faith. That's faith right there. That is trust. Abraham trusted in God and God provided a substitute sacrifice for his son, didn't he? David just said, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. And so now Jesus is trusting in his father as that substitute for our sin. It's amazing. Christ is not looking for a way out here. He is the way out for sinners like you and me. Right? So he's trusting in his father to deliver him through the pain, not to avoid it. Verse 5, they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So what are we learning here? Well, one of the things we're learning is to never be ashamed to cry out to God. Never be ashamed of that. Don't let your pride prevent you from crying out to God. Right? Jesus cried out to the father and he cried out, unashamed to his heavenly father. And he's expecting deliverance here, even though currently he's experiencing separation for the first and only time. So what about me? I mean, will I continue to cry out to my heavenly father even when I think he doesn't hear me? Even those times when I think my prayers are stopping at the ceiling, will I continue to trust in what I know to be true about my God? that he's good, that he is holy, right? Will I be like Christ and continue to cry out, continue to trust, continue to walk by faith, and will I do it unashamed, right? God's still holy even when I'm hurting. Verse six, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Now, there is something very, very fascinating about the word worm here. And I would just encourage all of you to go home and do a little research on it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, but it's fascinating. Check this out. The word worm in Hebrew means tola. That's, that's the word. But it means scarlet or crimson worm. That's what that word means. So this crimson worm, it's a real thing, okay? And it looks more like a grub worm. And so... As we know, all of creation declares the glory of God, right? And so the story of this little worm is like this, because it all points to the work of Christ, and you'll see. But when this female crimson worm is ready to lay her eggs, which only happens once in her entire life, she climbs up a tree 
and attaches herself to it. With her body attached to the wooden tree, a hard crimson shell forms. And it's a shell that's so hard and so secured to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which would kill the worm. The female worm then lays her eggs under her body, under her uh, protective shell, so that the baby worms can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. After three days, the mother worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached and covers her baby worms. (laughs) The baby worms remain crimson colored for their entire life. Thereby they are identified as crimson worms. That's not all. Check this out. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head and forms a heart-shaped body that's no longer crimson but has turned into a snow-white wax that looks like a patch of wool on the tree. And then it begins to flake off and drop to the ground looking like snow. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, tola, same root word as worm, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, tola, the worm, they shall be as wool. Amazing. All of creation declares his glory. But the word worm brings with it another idea as well, and we see it in Isaiah 53, 3, which says he, de- he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So David uses this word worm here to also convey the utter disregard and hate that people had for Christ. Of course, David's writing prophetically here and most likely didn't even know he was writing about Christ, but the truth is nothing is lower than a worm, right? I mean, nothing is more base than a limbless, blind little vertebrate. That's it. That's about as low as you can get, right? But that's how Jesus felt in the moment. This was his reality. And for further study on that, look into Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. But here's a takeaway for you this morning. Maybe you felt worthless, Maybe at some point in your life, you felt really worthless. Maybe you beat yourself up about stuff. Maybe you live with a certain amount of shame. Can I tell you this morning, stop that. Stop that. Christ felt that way for you, right? Christ has gone through all of this for you. He was despised. He was rejected for you. He bore the reproach For you, so please stop thinking that you're worthless. Stop beating yourself up. Okay, now listen, I'm not saying get comfortable in your sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying confess your sin and come running to the Lord Jesus Christ for freedom from all of that, right? Christ felt worthless. He was beat up and rejected and treated like a worm for you in order to show you how much you're worth. I hope you know that this morning. Guys, 
You can be loved and accepted by your heavenly father through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, who fastened himself to a tree and his blood ran down for you so that you can be born again and have a home in heaven. Amen. He was acquainted with grief so that you and I could be accepted by grace. Verse seven. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, okay, so this prophecy literally came true in Matthew 27, 39, which says, and those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads. Okay, so that's when this literally came true. Here's what they said. Verse eight, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So Christ was being taunted, but Matthew records all of these taunts in much greater detail. Here's how Matthew records it in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 43. He says, And those who passed by and blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking what the scribes and elders said. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. And then verse 43, a direct quote from Psalm 22, 8. He trusted in God, let him deliver him. Now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Man, I want you to know something else this morning. Christ knows what it's like to be taunted. Christ knows what it's like to be bullied. He knows what it's like to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed. And so if you have ever been mocked or shamed or bullied or ridiculed, you're not alone. You're in good company with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine? He did all of this for you. So take comfort in that. I mean, don't take it personal the next time somebody shoots their mouth off at you. Right, The next time somebody bullies you or ridicules you because Jesus has already taken that arrow for you. He's been there, right? But Jesus said at John 15, 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first, right? So if you're someone who understands what it's like to be bullied or mocked or shamed or whatever, again, you're in good company with the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and laid his life down for you. Verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. And this is interesting here because here in verse 9, we see Christ remembering Bethlehem from Calvary. Okay, and in verses 9 and 10, we also know our fulfillments of prophecies from Isaiah 46.3 and 49.1. But he says in verse 10, I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so Christ is recounting the faithfulness of his father all the way from his mother's womb. And so here we get some insight into just how much Jesus loves his father, right? Dearly, eternally. But then over in John 19, verses 25 through 27, we get more insight into how much Christ loved his mother as well. You'll remember this from the cross. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. You see, Christ was taking care of his mom in the exact way that his father had always taken care of him. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Christ is telling us here that families matter, right? We take care of each other. Faith families matter. Your own family matters. We look after one another, just as Christ is doing here. Christ is saying, look, we take care of each other. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. So here we see the difference that sin makes in our relationship to God. When trouble is near, then God is far. That's how that works. Okay. Again, sin separates us from God. And Christ, who is currently clothed in our sin, was, of course, feeling that separation. And so we should never, ever forget something very important. We caused that. Right? You and I caused that. We created this trouble. Christ's trouble here is our sin, isn't it? Verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. So this is a direct reference to the Jews. Okay, in Amos chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine and let us drink. And so what we see here is that Christ was, in fact, rejected by his own people. He was surrounded and he was oppressed by the Jewish people. He was, in fact, the stone, the very stone that the builders rejected, according to Matthew 21, 42. Verse 13, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. So don't, be, don't let the word picture be lost on you here, okay? There's a, a really interesting word picture. Because the people here in verse 11 are the lion. The people are the lion. And of course, Christ is the lamb. But the people rage on. The people are the ones roaring like a lion that's tearing into this helpless lamb here. I mean, what a surprise it's going to be when Jesus returns and reverses those roles. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. He's coming back not in the meekness of a lamb, but in the triumphant glory of the Lion of Judah, Revelation 5, 5. So we should never forget here that even though the roles are revo- reversed in verse 13, Christ laid his life down for us. Nobody took it from him, right? He laid it down willingly, John 10, verse 18. Moving on to verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. Now, some of you will remember in the Old Testament, God's people had daily offerings, okay? And they included things like lambs, and drink offerings. Okay, you can read about this in Numbers 28 if you'd like to. But they were commanded to pour out their drink offering to the Lord as an offering and do that in a holy place. Okay, so that was the commandment. That's Numbers 28, 7. But listen to how Luke describes this from Christ in Luke 22, verses 19 through 20. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, And gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So can you see what's going on here? The lamb, the bread, the water, 
the wine, the blood. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? All of this is about Christ. Christ has now been exhausted physically and emotionally on his cross. Okay, he truly did give it all for you and me. His life was laid down from the inside out. The word of God tells us that all of his bones were out of joint, all of them, but yet not one was broken. Of course, this is in fulfillment of the perfect Passover lamb from Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, right? I mean, Jesus Christ is the perfect and final Passover lamb. Christ fulfilled all of the prophecies regarding that, okay? Yeah, his bones were all out of joint. Imagine that, all of them, but none were broken fulfilling the prophecy from Psalm 3420. But something else was happening during this time on the cross. His heart was melting like wax. You see, the heaviness of my sin, the heaviness of my sin, and the intensity of God's wrath toward my sin melted the heart of my Savior. I can tell you that you and I have never felt heartache like that. But thank the Lord He felt it for us. I'm sure most of you have lost a loved one. Most of you have probably lost a relationship or whatever. Um, And those are very, very hard. But again, I want you to know that your Savior knows what you feel like. Okay, he knows that loss. So take comfort in that. Take comfort in the Savior who can relate to your loss, right? You're not alone. But let, let me ask you another important question. We can relate to Christ in terms of a lost relationship, a lost loved one, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe this isn't a question. Maybe it's a statement. But we cannot relate to Christ in the sense that he took the wrath of the Father for our sin. We don't know what that's like. Christ fully understands, right? So all of that to say, If you really want to know what love is, if you really want to know, then look no further than Jesus Christ on his cross, right? Look at it. Look at his body. Look at the blood. Look at his melting heart. We can't look away from this, okay? I understand it's it's resurrection day. We're going to get there. Just give me a minute. But right now, we need to stare into the agony of our Savior's eyes. We need to understand the reality of the cross so that it will cause us to fall down on our face and worship Him. We need to look no further than the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ and His melting heart that were given for us to know how truly we are loved by God. That's how we know. Guys, I'm giving this message today so that we don't run too quickly past the cross on Easter, right? It's very common for us on Friday to say, oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen. I agree. I agree. But look at the cross. Linger there. Don't run too quickly past it. Look at the pain. Look at the suffering. Take it all in and even dwell there. We need to sit at the foot of the cross so that we can look up at our Savior, right? Don't look away from it. Look deeper into it. 
and discover as best you can the glory and the beauty and the horror and the joy of Jesus Christ hanging on his cross for your sins. David prophetically gives us insight into the internal struggle and the grief and the heartache that Christ was going through while he hung there for you and hung there for me. Our Lord is being poured out like water. His bones are all out of joint. And now his heart is melted like wax. And in verse 15, now he says, his strength is gone. My strength is dried up like a pot sherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. A pot sherd is a clay pot. That's what that is. And so at this point in Christ's sacrifice on the cross, he's lost all of his strength. He's become very, very weak. Listen to how Proverbs 17.22 says it. A broken spirit dries the bones. Wow. So Christ now has a melted heart that result in dry bones. Guys, the effect of our sin on Christ was, was catastrophic. It affected every part of his person. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle John records it like this in John 19, 28, when he quoted Jesus as saying, I thirst, I thirst. The body of our Lord was breaking down. Christ was being crushed for our sins. Don't ever forget that. Christ was crushed for your sins. Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word means crush. It's more than a bruise, right? It's not a slap on the wrist. Christ was crushed. He continues, he's put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for our sin. Remember what Solomon said? It's a broken spirit that dries the bones. And so Christ bore the penalty, the full penalty and the full weight of our sin down to his very soul. Down to his soul. As horrible as this is, guys, I hope you can see how much you are loved by Jesus Christ. I hope you can see that. Verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The dogs here is a reference directly to the Gentiles. Okay, we've seen the Jews mentioned in verse 12. And now we see the Gentiles mentioned. So this speaks to the fact that you and I are all sinners, right? Jews and Gentile alike. Romans 3.23 is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now Christ is surrounded by sinners and he is clothed in our sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he prepares to die for the sins of the entire world, 1 John 2.2. Here's something else that's interesting to think about. It's more than that. It's amazing. But David is now describing a punishment. He said, they pierced my hands and feet. Right? So David is describing a punishment that does not exist yet at the time of this writing. David's prophesying about Christ's crucifixion some 1,000 years before it was even invented. Isn't that amazing? Crucifixion was most likely invented by the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And we know that it was used regularly, regularly by the Persians around the 6th century B.C., after that, Alexander the Great brought it to the Eastern Mediterranean about the 4th century B.C. From there, the Phoenicians brought it to Rome in the 3rd century B.C., and the Romans fell in love with it. They loved crucifixion so much that they spent the next 500 years perfecting it until Constantine I abolished it in the 4th century A.D. 
not long after Christ was crucified. Yet David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, describes precisely how the Messiah would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And he does it in great detail and in a way that's not even yet been considered by humanity. The cross. Wow. It's just absolutely amazing to me. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. So Christ is now completely exposed physically. He's either completely or partially naked at this point with all of his bones out of joint. Verse 14, the people are now just staring at him. So in other words, Christ is being humiliated here. Just think about that. The creator of the universe is being humiliated by his creation. Imagine hanging naked on a cross in public for all the world to see. Think about it like this. Have you ever sinned with your body? I'm not going to go into detail here. You know what I'm talking about. And do you ever struggle with shame? Have you ever been humiliated? Please hear this this morning. Christ bore that shame on his cross. You know that? If you belong to Jesus Christ, you don't have to carry that shame anymore. Praise the Lord. Right? Christ was shamed for you. He was humiliated and embarrassed and made guilty. All for you. All for you. So confess your sins to Christ. Trust in the finished work of the cross. Right? We got to get off that cycle of sin, guilt, shame, sin, guilt, shame. We've got to get off that cycle and confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and leave all of that behind. Christ can set you free from all of that. He bore all of that for you. So repent of, the, of your sin, whatever it is, and just trust in Jesus Christ by faith because the cross is enough. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. And so, of course, we see this prophecy fulfilled literally in Luke 23, 34. Over in John 19, 23 and 24, we see it when the soldiers were gambling for the clothes of our Savior. I mean, Christ had nothing. He didn't even have the clothes on his back. The only thing that our Lord had was the satisfaction of knowing that he had accomplished his Father's will. Amen. That's Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 10, by the way. But I'm here to tell you there's no greater satisfaction than that than knowing that you are in the Father's will. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. So this sort of echoes verse 11. Christ is suffering for the sins of the world. He's doing so alone. And he realizes that only his Father can provide the strength that he needs to endure. And so as believers in Christ, we have to understand exactly where it is that our strength comes from as well, right? Our strength comes from the Lord, Psalm 28, 7, among others. Verse 20, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. So Christ was crucified and he was crucified on a Roman Gentile cross. He was killed by dogs, if you will. Gentile dogs. And of course, his side was pierced through with a sword. We see that fulfilled in John 19, 34 as well. Verse 21. Let me read the first half of it. It says, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. All right. So as I mentioned, the Jews are the lions. The Jews are the wild oxen and the bulls. Okay. We've seen that in verses 12, 13, and 21. The Gentiles are the dogs. 
That's verses 16 and 20. So Christ is surrounded by sinners of all kind who want to kill him. At this point, the lamb has been led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, 7. Christ has been made sin so that you and I could be made righteous in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Christ at this point is engulfed in the holy wrath of the Father toward your sin and toward mine. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And so in the first half of verse 21, it's where we hear our Savior's cry to the Father for salvation. Save me. Right? Christ our Lord was hanging on this tree, separated from the Father, engulfed in his wrath, clothed in our sin, alone, and his Father seemed far away. But then this is where the entire tone of the psalm shifts. Right here in the middle of verse 21. You see the first 21 verses, verse 1 through the first half of verse 21, we see the agony of the cross. This is where we see the heartache. This is where we see the struggle and the battle that took place there for your sin and mine. But then in the second half of verse 21, through the end of the chapter, verse 31, it's where we see the answer from the Father. Praise the Lord. Guys, this is where we see the victory. Okay, God the Father has heard the cry of God the Son. As David writes, you have answered me. You have. Amen. Christ will rise again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and he will secure eternal life for all of those who will put their faith and trust in him. Jesus cried out to his Father, and David tells us, you have heard me. You heard me. The Apostle John records it this way in John 19.30. It is finished. It's finished. Luke says it this way. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23.46. Hallelujah. There's no more battle. There's no more struggle. The sacrifice for our sins by God the Son has been accepted by God the Father. The victory has been won. Guys, this is the victory of the cross. Jesus Christ has won that victory for you. And so if you will look to the cross and if you will look to the Savior who gave his life there, turning from your sins and placing your faith in him alone for salvation, you know what? He will save you. He will do it. He will answer you. And then you can experience the victory the eternal victory that comes from having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning? Guys, I hope our teaching this morning has helped you see just a little bit more clearly what it costs our Savior to secure your eternity. What it costs our Savior to give us the victory. Yeah, Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Never to die again, right? He has satisfied the holy wrath of the Father Father, toward our sin. And so we have every reason as believers and followers of Christ to rejoice in our risen Lord. In fact, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we have no hope whatsoever, right? All of our hope would be lost. Our faith, in fact, would be empty. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. But Christ is risen from the grave. And so our hope in him is eternal. It's eternal hope in Christ. 
But please don't run too quickly past the cross this year on your way to the resurrection. All right, don't gloss over the suffering of your Savior this morning. Look at the cross. Take it in. Think about it. Yes, even wrestle with it if you have to. Wrestle with the cross. And ultimately, my prayer for you and my hope is that you will surrender to the Christ who hung on it. Because if you do, then I can promise you that he will give you new life. He will save your eternal soul. Guys, the tomb is empty. Why? Because the cross is enough. That's why. The price has been paid. The sacrifice has been accepted. And Christ has been resurrected. And the offer of eternal life to you has been extended. So will you find your hope this morning in the victory of the cross? We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time in your word this morning. Thank you for the victory of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for taking my guilt and my shame and my sin and nailing it to that tree. Thank you, Lord, that when you cried out to the Father, the Father heard just like everyone who would cry out to you this morning for salvation will be heard. And so I pray that whoever hears this message, if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that would change today, that they would receive new life in Christ on this resurrection morning. I pray that they would turn from their sins, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose from the grave. They would pray that they would believe that by faith, that they would just believe the gospel. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's your promise. I pray for those of us who have a relationship with you already. Maybe we've been carrying some guilt. Maybe we've been carrying some shame, some regret. Maybe... Our bones are dry. Maybe we just haven't been as close to you as we should have been. I pray that that would end today too. I pray that we would leave all of that shame, all of that guilt, all of that regret, all of that dryness. I pray that we would leave it right where it belongs, at the cross. Because the cross is enough. You bore all of that for us. We don't have to live a life of shame. We don't have to live a life of guilt and regret if we confess our sins to you you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness thank you for your promises Lord we trust in you because in you is where we find our hope not just for today but for all of eternity in Christ Jesus we have resurrection hope that will never end Thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Lord, please be enthroned on our praises here this morning. Be enthroned on every heart as we worship you for the cross and, yes, for the victory of that cross, the miracle of your resurrection. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.